thrilled today <coughs> to have Ralph Terry here and Jan Sumner, who both also happen to have ties to Independence. And uh, I'm really proud of the city of Independence and all the many things that we have to be proud of. And so I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm just going to let these two gentlemen start. Um, you want to go first? You, go, or you, want you to talk to them. Go ahead. You talk I have nothing and, to say. And they're going <laughs> to talk about their books and whatever. I have a question for you. Shoot. Okay. How'd you get Bill Clinton to bring oh, it forward in this? Oh, what book? a setup that was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, actually, it's an interesting, well, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, President Clinton wrote the foreword to this book. Um, this is the story of an old um, Negro League player who never got a shot in the, in the bigs named Byron Johnson. That's him right there. This is about 1920. This picture pretty much typifies the Negro Leagues. Um, Anyway, his niece, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Little Rock Nine. Anybody familiar with the Little Rock Nine? The Little Rock Nine in 1947 were the first nine uh, African Americans to integrate public schools. And they did it in Little Rock, Arkansas, much to the dismay of the governor and pretty much everyone there. And there were nine of them. And these, one of them was his niece. Uh, Carlotta Walls and she was 14 and um, and naturally integrating the schools for the first time they got treated pretty badly and President Eisenhower uh, or 57 excuse me not 47 President Eisenhower had to um, send in the National Guard to guard these kids um, anyway Ironically, the one kid she said, the one white kid that was the nicest to her was Brooks Robinson's brother, um, was, was nice and polite to her. Anyway, she, all, all nine of those kids grew up and became very successful. And President Clinton, when he was governor of Arkansas, he befriended those nine and gave them an award there. And then when he became president, he gave them the uh, Congressional Gold Medal, all nine of them. For integrating the schools. So Carlotta always stayed very close with um, President Clinton. Well, his family, Byron's family, asked me to write this book. And uh, I agreed. And I started writing it. And sadly, Byron was, um, he was in failing health. He was about 93 when I started the book. It took me a couple years. And uh, he passed away when he was 95. But um, his daughter, uh, Jackie taught African-American studies at Metropolitan State University. <clears throat> so I had pretty much wrapped up the book and you know Don Baylor who was my boss for uh, all but one year with the Rockies, I loved I love him. He, um, he wrote the um, introduction and so one evening I called Jackie and I said hey she said can we how can we help Jan and I said you know, if you know anybody that, uh, you know, we can testimonial from, somebody like that. And she's very casual on the other end of the phone. I wish somebody had been there to take my picture. <laughs> and she said, I'm, th I'm thinking of two people. And I said, um, cool. She said, Oprah. And I said, 
Winfrey? <laughs> and she goes, uh, yeah, Carlotta was on her show and we can get her a book, which we did. Um, and the other one is Bill Clinton and I'm thinking some local councilman. You know, I'm not thinking of the president. And, uh, and she just said it very casually and, uh, and Mr. Quick on the uptake, President Bill Clinton? And she goes, uh, yeah, <coughs> President Bill, I went over this three times. I think she thought I had smacked my head. So anyway, uh, Carlotta talked to him. He said, send me the manuscript. Uh, that was bizarre because it was the first writing and you know, there's spelling errors and I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer. I don't know a paragraph from a sentence. So I, I send it off to him with a letter of apology. <laughs> You know, this, I really write better than this. And, and he read it and agreed to do it, which was shocking. And um, <clears throat> just about that time, he has to have quadruple bypass. Byron's fading, President Clinton's got to have heart surgery. Then he comes out of that and he gets involved in the tsunami effort with Bush Sr. And then there's an election. Then he has some more heart problems. And Byron's <laughs> fading and I, I thought, I, I've got to move forward with this. I, you know, I can't wait uh, for him to put this together. So I was com corresponding via email. So I sent an email and, and in my subtle way said, are you going to do this? No, I didn't say that, but <clears throat> I, I did send out an email and said, you know, uh, Byron's fading and blah 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 and boom I get an immediate response you'll this was on a Thursday you'll have the uh, forward Monday I thought, yes. Monday comes nothing Tuesday nothing Wednesday nothing and I thought you know on a pri priority list I'm 3406 so I started I, the next day I thought I'm, I'm moving forward with it Bing. There it is, Thursday morning on my computer. And it's beautifully written, and, uh, and it touches Byron as a man, not a baseball player. Don Baylor took care of that. And, but at the bottom it puts, he put, uh, nobody can make any changes with this. And I get that. Presidents don't sign on to anything and everything. And, but about the third paragraph he had put in there, uh, at the height of his athletic skills, Byron chose to walk away from his uh, glamorous baseball career and return to education. He had a college degree and he, he taught. Now, you know, and I know, uh, Negro Leagues was anything but glamorous. I mean, it was, it was tough. These guys played the game because they loved the game. So I labored over this for a day, and so I sent back an email and I said, <coughs> I'd like to change one word from glamorous to beloved, because that's why they did this. It wasn't five minutes. Okay, so you're looking at one of the few people who ever edited Bill Clinton. <laughs> anyway, it was an interesting, uh, interesting trip. And then, um, do I have time? You're doing great, man. I'm it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to talk about his book. Um, and then in 2014, some of you probably have already heard this, so if you want to go get donuts, that's cool. Um, I was born here in Independence. 
Uh, we left, my mom and I left when uh, I was probably two months old, two to three months old. My dad at that time was a prisoner of war <clears throat> and um, never came back. And independence wasn't really spoken of. And uh, then in 2014, uh, there's a gentleman in the room who sent me a, an email. Uh, that gentleman right there with the pink shirt on. <clears throat> and he says, he didn't even introduce himself. He just said, uh, Independence has a marvelous baseball history. Would you be interested in writing a book about it? And I, who is this? <laughs> so I basically sent an email back and said, who are you? And, uh, and, and accurately, he returned, nobody. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So we talked, and he told me about the history here, and, uh, and I always wanted to come back. It was just never any place I was going when I was traveling. So that summer, I think, um, I came back with a buddy met me here from Purdue, and, um, and just to look around, and Mark took us around and showed me everything, and uh, I loved it. I loved the town, and um, stupidly, I agreed to write the book. So then we started, and, um, and it was so funny because this man is a history treasure of this town. And, uh, and I wanted to make the book about more than baseball. You know, this town has an amazing history. Um, for the size of town it is, it's probably turned out some of the heavyweights in history of this country. Um, and uh, <laughs> kidding. And uh, <clears throat> so Mark starts shooting stuff to me, you know. Well, my printer's about to blow up, and, and um, finally <laughs> I had to send back and say, Mark, I tell you what, I'll ask when I need some more stuff, because I have <laughs> stuff like this. But he was, it, he's responsible for this, this project. I was going to ask you, you got to see some interesting people, and one of them is Mickey Mantle's roommate when he was here in town. Correct. Can you tell people about that? Yeah, uh, Mantle's first year in pro ball, as I'm sure uh, we all know, was 1949. And um, he, he came here and he didn't have a roommate. And a guy named Bob Mallon, a country boy from Missouri, came here. They'd signed. Yankees had signed him. He came in one night in the rain and, and they went. I guess the next day of practice, and uh, the manager says, who needs a roommate? And Mickey says, I do. So Bob uh, became his roommate that year. He lives in Denver. He's one of my favorite people. Um, and so when I went to interview him for this book, interview Bob for this book, a uh, couple things. One, nobody, every book that's been written about Mickey Mantle, Bob has been interviewed for. And nobody ever wrote about Bob. So I did in here. He didn't know it until I gave him the book, and he was very touched. Um, but I'm interviewing him for the book, and I said, in the house, sadly, that they lived in is burned down. It's not there anymore. And uh, so I said, you guys shared a bedroom? Yeah, yeah, we did. And I said, what, a couple, a couple of beds? And no, just one. And I said, uh, I don't think they had king or queens then, did they? And he goes, no, just a double bed. He said the slats would break or slide and we'd fall into the middle of the bed together. I said, that's 
amazing. Um, so flash ahead about 10 years after that or 15 years after that, and the St. Louis Amateur Baseball Hall of Fame is inducting Bob Mallon into the Hall of Fame. And Bob is a very reserved, quiet, self-contained man. He doesn't, no spotlights, no, you know, anything. And he and his wife, Marianne, are there. And so these guys are up on the podium, you know, Bob, come on up and say something. And he, he turns to Marianne, he goes, I, I don't want to talk. I don't know what I would say. She says, just tell him you slept with Mickey Mantle. <laughs> uh, but I tell you, it was, this was, a, it was an honor and uh, a thrill to be able to um, write that book. This picture on the front is the 49 Yankees. That's Mickey down there in the corner. Second guy standing up there is Bob Mallon. And uh, he's, he's kind of in poor health now. But uh, once a month, I take donuts and go over and he and I just chew the fat about baseball and and uh, he's just he's just a great great guy so anyway and then this book is uh, when I my experience is throwing batting practice for the uh, for the Rockies uh, which I did from 93 through 99 and and that was uh, that got me started writing so um, much to your chagrin I'm sure and the next time so. you <laughs> is that is that a compliment? Is that, is that a, so anyway, that's that's good for me. Ralph, have at it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed meeting this guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love to talk to uh, <clears throat> people who love baseball, real baseball. You know. Highlights of my career are playing for Casey Stingle and playing with Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Roger Maris, Elson Howard, Moose Scourn, Tony Kubek, Bobby Richardson, Cleet Boyer. We had this, really had uh, had some <clears throat> great athletes, great teammates, and uh, in those days the minimum salary was six thousand dollars a year. And now I think the minimum salary is around a half a million. And, uh, but uh, Stingle, <clears throat> his clubhouse meetings were classic. You know, he, he had this rich bourbon voice. Well, he, <clears throat> we'd lose two or three games and he'd say, you damn guys got to start playing better or that moving van's pulling up in front of your house and you're, <laughs> you're gonna be traded to Kansas City. <laughs> they basically traded. They had, uh, they had uh, Senator Estes Kiefhofer had a, headed up a hearing about baseball's uh, reserve clause and, uh, and um, how they could uh, control the player forever, his contract and uh, an antitrust exemption, and it was a big witch hunt, you know, like what's going on now. <laughs> and and uh, so anyway, Estes Kiefhofer, they called him Kiefhofer. <laughs> and uh, they came, Casey's turn to testify. Kiefhofer said, uh, 
Mr. Stengel, would you please give a brief resume of your career in baseball? He says, well, I started in Kankakee in 1910. The Japanese will never make good ball players. Their fingers are too small. And the Chicago third baseman can't go to his right on a ground ball. And the Boston catcher throws a sidearm to the second, and the ball curves away from the infielders. And uh, he rambled on. <laughs> Finally, Kiefer said, uh, Mr. Stingle, Mr. Stingle. Yes, yes. I believe you misunderstood the question. <laughs> Senator, I believe you misunderstood the answer. <laughs> Stingle was the greatest storyteller. I remember in Chicago, we had a, a big rain delay. And we'd come in and, and draw 150,000 people for a weekend series at some of these places. We drew over 3 million <coughs> people a year. We were the... Uh, Next to Barman and Bailey, the Yankees were the greatest road show on earth, you know. But anyway, they, they, I don't ever remember them calling out a, calling off a game after four and a half innings, four innings, you know. We stayed and we played in mud. They wanted to get that five innings in and get the crowd in. And uh, so one day in Chicago, <clears throat> it's raining and we're in the dugout. We're sitting there. Casey's telling stories the old days. The water's rolling in the dugout. Next scene. You know, we, we got our feet up. Next scene, we're sitting on the back of the, the bench, you know, and Casey, the water's up here, he's, he's telling the greatest stories. And he could tell, he rambled, he, he could tell five stories at once, you know. So what are you doing? You know, and he'd tie them all together, and, they, and he was a marvelous storyteller. And uh, Stingle uh, used to, um, I was a young pitcher, and uh, I'd get in a, Little jam, you know, a couple men on, nothing real serious. Casey'd come out the mound, and uh, he'd take me out. So I said, man, I, he's pulling me out awful quick. And so one day Yogi said, uh, would you like to stay in these games a little longer? And I said, yeah. He said, well, look, when, when the old man comes out here at the mound, don't open the conversation. Don't say anything. You know, usually he comes out, I feel good, I'll get this next guy, and I, you know. And being it out, so and uh, so I said, yeah, okay. Uh, so I get in a little jam, and uh, here comes Casey. You know, I don't say anything. Yogi don't say nothing. Boyer comes over and scouring and scratching around. <laughs> Finally, the umpire comes out. He says, "Well, Case, what's it going to be?" He says, uh, <clears throat> "How do you feel?" "Oh, I feel fine. I feel fine." Well, Curves is son of a bitch, you know, and he'd go back to the <laughs> 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 And Yogi knew him, you know, because all those old managers no sooner went out there and had the guy talking with him and stand in there and they'd go back and boom, we got out of the park. <laughs> it was embarrassing, you know. But, well, look at the Mets, you know, that uh, they lost that World Series. And <clears throat> that, 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 that pitcher talked to, the starting pitcher talked to the manager and leaving him in there. And, uh, you, you know, saying you gotta, you gotta dance with who brung you. They had that ace reliever down there, and he didn't use him. And uh, there's a certain way to lose, and then you'll sleep good at night. When I threw the, uh, I most remembered uh, for a couple of things. Uh, one of them in particular in the '60 World Series, 
I uh, threw the final pitch to Mazeroski, and uh, I came in in relief. And I warmed up five times, started the game, and I, I wasn't a relief pitcher. Finally, Bob Turley started. Rocky Nelson hit a rock, uh, Rocky Nelson hit a home run off of him. He got in trouble. Bill Stafford and I warmed up. They used Bill, and he got out of the jam, and he got in trouble. Warmed up again with Bobby Chance. He gets in trouble. Bobby comes in, pitches great, and um, uh, ground ball hit Kubek in the throat. Anyway, they end up scoring. And coach comes in, warmed up with him, <laughs> and he had Hal Smith struck out with two on, and the bat was went all the way around, and he jerked it back, and the umpire you know didn't call it, and they didn't have a appeal in those days. And the next, uh, the next pitch, he hits over the fence, three-run homer. Put him up by two, uh, nine to seven. And I came in, got the last out, and uh, uh, we scored two runs at the top of the nine, tied it up. And uh, I'd warn, uh, Casey said, okay, boys, let's go get these National Leaguers. They'll go back out. Two pitches later, boom, <laughs> Maz hits the home run, and, and we're off the field. But, I uh, I felt the winner's share was 6,000 a man in the World Series. The losers got 4,800. They passed a rule right after that they had to get at least 5,000 a man. Now the winners got what, half a million a man? It's, it's, um, yeah. But we needed the money. You know, Tony Kubek and I used to talk about, you know, they tend to uh, um, uh, glamorize those years and but he said, it was hard work. You know, we needed the money. You couldn't smell the roses. You know, it wasn't all sunglasses and autographs. And it was, uh, you know, you go into Chicago and then you got to go to Detroit and you got to go to Boston and they're right on your tail in a tough pennant race. And, uh, but uh, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a thrill for me. I, uh, my dream was uh, uh, growing up in Chelsea, Oklahoma down there and commerce was, Quapaw, Wyandotte, Afton Grove, Fairland, Pitcher, Jay, they were all in the same, we called the Lucky Seven Conference here around Grand Lake area. And Mickey was a senior at Commerce, I was in the eighth grade. <clears> the <throat> first time I heard about Mickey Mantle, I started out as a catcher. And um, Galen Hudspeth was, a, was our, our best pitcher. And we both played here for Independence. And, um, he signed pro ball, played a couple years in minor leagues, hurt his arm. But uh, uh, they had a, a pitcher uh, down the street from us, Norm Stanley, threw hard. And like I said, I was in the eighth grade, and they come back and played commerce and uh, lost four to two. And I said, uh, how'd you do today, Norm? And he said, I did okay. Like Mantle hit two home runs off the football bleachers out there. <laughs> this guy that's the first time I heard it, Mickey Mantle. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, that was, uh, and then we had a, we had a real good team, and um, had a good third baseman, Bob Bard, and and he used to go to tryout camps, and you know you hear about that, and then we listened to Harry Carey on the radio and the St. Louis Cardinals, and you know Stan Musial and. Shane Deese and Marty Marion and Dale Rice and Hallie Paulette and all these all these great players to me and um, 
heinous slaughter. And uh, <coughs> so I uh, met, a, met another buddy, uh, Buck Rose, uh, another old player from there, down near Claremore. We got a ride, but he had some cousins that lived in East St. Louis. We, we got a ride up, so a weekend they dropped us off and we had our knapsacks and we slept in Forest Park and, and under, under some park benches out there. And uh, we were just 15, 14 year old kids, you know. And uh, we had our tickets for the weekend series with Pittsburgh, went out, Saw them play, saw High Platte pitch, saw Musial hit a hit a hit went off the screen at Old Sportsman Park. Saw he was slaughter. I mean, I remember seeing Marty Marion. What a shortstop! I mean, wow. And uh, and I saw Ralph Kiner. Kiner hit a home run off of Al Brazel, a relief pitcher. He threw him a changeup and he missed it and he threw him another one and made a mistake. <laughs> and he hit that thing at right center and it must have stayed up there five minutes and boom, out on, the, <laughs> out on Broadway on the street out there. But, you know, I remember those things just like it was yesterday. And I remember, uh, so uh, my, uh, my dream was uh, I want to get to big legs and just play one game. You know, <laughs> say I was there, I played in one game, then I could come back to the drugstore and the pool hall and brag, you know. <laughs> I remember the old timers at the pool hall, they'd say, well, he said, he says, the Cardinals, uh, they, got, they got too many Catholics on that team. They got too many Polacks, you know, they had Rupolsky and Jablonski and Musial and all those guys, you know. And I said, I mean, I came back with that, I said, let me tell you one thing. It don't mean a damn what the hell you are. If you could hit that ball, that's what counts, you know. And I remember Jackie Robinson came in and Louis and and I mean they packed him in. It was it was a, it was something special. And I knew Jackie Robinson. I saw anyway, flash forward, I'm I'm in um, I'm I I signed a contract when I was eighteen and it was they and it was a major league contract. They, 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 I was going to in line to get a good bonus, and uh, they passed a rule where they restricted the owners. $4,000 bonus was the maximum. If you gave it to a guy, you had to keep him on your 25-man big league roster. Uh, you're, and, uh, and here's a guy sitting there that's not ready to play. He's not, he's, he's just, there's a disincentive for the owners, you know, to spend all that money, see. So, they signed me to a $4,000 contract, but they, it was a big league contract. I could go to spring training with them, and you had whatever level you entered, class D here, or class C, or double A, or you'd have three options, which meant every year was an option. They could send you down to the lower minor, but then they'd move you up to the next level, and you get three more options. They controlled you forever, you know. So, but this way, I figured I'd sign a big league contract, three options, after three years, if I wasn't on the Yankee roster, I had a good chance of being drafted by somebody else, you know, from a good team. So anyway, I go to spring training, and uh, Casey, uh, Casey was, uh, we were having a, uh, they had an early camp, all their top prospects up and down the minors. That's how Mickey got discovered. They had one in uh, Phoenix, and he'd come out of Joplin year after year. and. 
and they had all the prospects. He'd come all the way from Seaball. He outran everybody. He hit the ball farther than anybody, and they couldn't believe it. And uh, and they called him up from Joplin, and uh, it's, it's, it's un, unheard of, you know. So anyway, uh, Stingle, uh, I uh, uh, they had a we had an air squad game. They had runners on first and third, and. Uh, and uh, it's, so they, they pull a play, it's a beautiful play, you know, and they pull it on rookies or guys who don't know, you know, first and third. And when you, when you look at the guy at first, the guy on third takes off for home. The minute the guy on first sees, sees him leave, he breaks first. He jumps off right fine while you're staring at him like he's going second. And your instinct is to nail him, time to get to home. Bingo, the guy, it's the most beautiful play when it's run like. And uh, so I pulled down, and I see this guy jump off, and I stepped off and nailed the guy on third, you know, and Stingles come out of timeout. He said, you handled that pretty good, kid. You know, how did you learn that? And I, was, I was an old Indian pitcher. Uh, used to play um, pro ball. He used to come by when we were in high school and worked out a little bit. And he said, you know, he, we were talking about that play. He said, you know, you know, you got all day to get this guy, or to get the guy on first. He says, you know, step off, then you can't balk. And uh, so who was it? I mentioned a guy, and I don't know, he's an Indian pitcher, very few Indians. Early win? No, no. Uh, uh, anyway, Stingle, uh, Stingle said, you know, i think of it in 20 minutes, you know, senior. <laughs> when we go get in the car. <laughs> anyway, so. Stingle said, I knew that guy. I played against him at Louisville back in, and there was about 50 players running around, you know, and, and he noticed me, you know, and he, he, uh, so, he, he, uh, he, I heard, he sent me down home, back home for a month before the minor league camp started, and, and uh, I said, how about if I stick around for the exhibition games? pitch batting practice, and I'd go home and get out of shape, and, you know, maybe I'll learn something. So, great, you know, so he kept me around, and uh, I'd, I'd pitch batting practice, and um, one day Yogi's in a cage, and Yogi's a great fastball hitter, and uh, and he wasn't hitting the ball real good, and he could hit on Christmas Day, natural, didn't, never struck out. Struck out less times than he had home runs, it was amazing. He and the module, only two guys like that, that and now they strike out 200 times a year, and it's like, you know, that's nothing, you know. And uh, so, Yogi know, wasn't hitting the ball good, you know, and he, I just, he, he was all up, put something on the ball, you know. Like, you know. I wasn't throwing it hard enough for him, you know, and it really pissed me off, you know, and I just smoked him, you know, for about 10 minutes. He couldn't get one out of the cage, you know, and, and finally threw the bat down, you know. And, an Italian, you know, embarrassing, you know, so they, they, you know, they, <laughs> anyway, Stingle, Stingle, uh, Stingle said, uh, some reporters were around the cage, he said, that's the finest pitching prospect I've laid eyes on since I've been in baseball. And they said, you mean uh, Christy Matheson? He said, this is the finest. Quite a compliment. Stingle. <clears throat> so.
somebody once said, <clears throat> when modesty is lost, is, <laughs> is never regained. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Stengel put me in against uh, the Dodgers. I was 18. We go to Vero Beach, and uh, I faced uh, Don Hoke, Don Zimmer, Wally Moon, Moonshot, and and Duke Snyder. And I got him out for an inning. We lost the game four to one. And Bob Graham pitched that game. His rookie of the year that year. Then a little bit later, he puts me in against Washington Senators and the Cardinals for a couple of years. I'm 18. I remember Musial came to bat, and uh, catcher, we're playing Al Lang Field in St. Pete. And uh, so I threw, got a couple of strikes. He's looking me over. I threw a couple of off speed pitches out there and had that crowd. And uh, so uh, Charlie Silvera was a Bullpen, third string catcher, he was catching that game. Calls for a fastball, puts a mid outside, he went outside. So I threw the fastball in there, and there's about belt tie, it's on the outside, and it was almost by him, you know, and it went, the wrist, bam, he hit one to center field. And Bill Verdon, who played here, was playing right. center field. Right. He's a resident Yankee, and, 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 it, and he jogged back, you know, catches it, you know, right in front of the center field fence on the track. So I came in and the, uh, some of the old timers said, that a boy kid, he didn't pull your fastball. And I said, yeah, it's a good thing the wind was blowing in. <laughs> it was their real kids, you know. So, uh, but uh, I, the Pittsburgh series, and I, uh, I felt worse for Casey. And uh, I went in, in his office after, after the game, and he was sitting there, and we we sort of knew that it was going to be his last game. They, uh, before the seventh game, he said, "Boys, you've had a great year and have a good off season. I'm not may not get to say goodbye to you because uh, I'll have to either congratulate Murtaugh or congratulate me and go on TV." And and uh, we felt he was saying goodbye, and um, so. I go in and I, he said, what's up, kid? I said, and he was, there he was sitting there in his chair. His, his jersey's open and his pants are down around his ankles. And he was taking off the Yankee uniform for the last time. And uh, I, I said, I feel bad ending it for you this way, Casey. And uh, he said, well, how are you trying to pitch him? I said, I knew he was a high fastball hitter. I was trying to, I couldn't get the ball down. I'd warmed up five times in the game and warm up and you cool off, warm up, cool off. And you can't mess around in the seventh game. You gotta be ready, you know, you can't. So finally I get in the game, I'd warmed up on this one mound that was really steep, a little bitty, little bitty mound like that. And I grooved on that one mound. I get in the mound, I had a big flat mound. And my front foot had hit early and everything I was high. And I couldn't get the ball down, everything. <laughs> And uh, Blanchard, first pitch I threw Maz was a high. Blanchard, timeout catcher. Yogi's in left field. Elson Howard had got hit by Bob Friend on the wrist in the previous game, and he was out. And, and um, so Blanchard's catcher, and he said, you gotta get the ball, ball down, it's got a high ball here. I said, I know, I know, I'll get it down. You know, well, the next one I got down about belt high. 
And, uh, and so I, I told Casey, I just couldn't get the ball down. And he said, uh, as long as you pitch, you're not always going to get the ball where you want to. He said, that's a physical mistake. He said, as long, as long as you weren't going against the scouting report, then I wouldn't sleep good at night. He says, forget it, kid, and come back and have a good year next year. And uh, that was the best counseling you could give a kid. You know, he could have really hung a guilt trip on me, you know. And then somebody, I remember uh, Arnold Palmer, I got in a golf tour, played, and Arnie was from, grew up around Pittsburgh, you know, and he was, <laughs> he was a fan, you know. And he said, uh, how'd you feel after that pitch to Mass, you know, and I said, Arnie, you ever try to get drunk and you can't? Me <laughs> and the catcher got on a plane and we had a half a dozen drinks and we were as sober as a judge. You know, he couldn't, he said, I called the wrong pitch. No, I didn't get where I wanted to go. But anyway, um, that's what my story is about. Small town, you know, and get the big legs and bright lights and Broadway. I remember they, Damn Yankees was on, and uh, Gwen Verdon was the star. And they're singing, whatever Lola wants, Lola gets, you know. And, and then and they had ground ball, double play. Yankees win <laughs> again today. So yeah. damn Yankees. <laughs> but I, we had free tickets. So I saw it five times. I walked into a place, I stayed at the Commodore Hotel downtown, and I was walking around Broadway and they had a little, a little downstairs walk-in bar <coughs> called Birdland, Lullaby Birdland. Anyway, I walk in, there's a blind piano player, a black piano player, there must have been five people in there in the afternoon, it was Ray Charles. Oh. And, uh, but, all these things, when I was 20 years old, I got called up when I was 20. <laughs> wow. But, but the real thing is, getting out losing the big one, now I'm, now I'm the goat. You know, I got to live with this. And, uh, but a couple of years later, I got in the same situation as seventh game. And you go to the seventh game of the series, you stick a pitcher in there, and it scores tied or run. It's probably the most pressure you could submit a, a pitcher to, you know, a player. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I, my attitude was I didn't mind losing. I hated losing, but I knew the, the, the more times you went out that mound, the more opportunities you had to win. And I think the Chinese got a word that has a dual meaning. It means with every opportunity, there has to be a crisis. And that, they use the same word for a crisis and opportunity. And uh, that's why I looked at it. I didn't mind taking a lot. I wanted, but I, every time I went out there, I had a chance to win. And fortunately, I won. And so now I'm in a saddle. I don't have to take shit about Mazeroski. You know, but I can brag about this one. But I can't brag about this one because I got to take shit about this one. That's it. Uh, I got a question for you, Ralph. Uh, I got to ask this being 
when you talk to Casey, uh, the, the subject of do plant benefits Kansas ever come up? And the reason I'm asking is back in 1914, Walter Johnson came to Independence, Kansas. He's a major league player at the time, the top pitcher in, in the country. And he played just in Independence County team, one of minor league team. Mm -hmm. And they beat him. And he got upset, Walter Johnson, and so he demanded another game. And he came back a month later and he brought Casey with him and then four other major league baseball players and to play independence. So Casey had played in independence. Now I was wondering if independence ever come up when you talked to him. Never did. Uh, no, no, say yes. <laughs> say yes. Say yes. He's going to be heartbroken if you don't say yes. Oh, yeah, he mentioned it. <laughs> Stingle. Uh, Stingle went, was a, uh, went to dental college, Western Dental College in Kansas City University out there. And I went to Kansas City University when I was in the off-season a couple of years. And uh, so uh, he, he, he claimed he never practiced dentistry because they didn't make left-handed left <laughs> dental tools, you know. But anyway, I had, uh, I had a, a couple of professors uh, that, uh, uh, <clears throat> that were real fans, and uh, they wanted to meet him. And, and so we came in, and uh, early in the, in the season, I said, Casey, I got a couple of my old professors out there who would love to meet you. And uh, since you went to college out there, and and he said, uh, I mean, come out the ballpark, the old Kansas City Stadium up on the hill, third base in our clubhouse up there, and uh, and he said, me come out about 4:30 before batting practice. So we go in his office, and uh, Casey's sitting on my right. I'm on his left, and uh, Dr. Warshay, Neil Warshay, sociology professor later head of the Department of Ohio State, smart guy, really a real fan, and uh, Neil and Dr. Bob Neal. And so Casey's telling stories the old day, and I said, uh, Casey, uh, Neil here, he's got a lineup. And I'm rolling my eyes, Casey, and, and he thinks you should use it. And uh, <laughs> Casey keeps a straight face, and he says, uh, what do you got there, Neil? And this little professor pulls out this slip of paper and it's folded up, and it's like the secret to the H bomb, you know. And he says, uh, he, saw, he reads his lineup off. He had McDougal leading off, he had Mantle batting second. And, uh, you know, so he might get an extra at bat. And the rest of it was fairly, you know, orthodox. Casey, he cited his reasons. Casey, let me see that. He looks at it. That's a great lineup. Neil, I'm using that tonight. McDougal hit the second pitch over in Sam's parking lot, and we won that game eight to one. I got two A minuses the next year. <laughs> <laughs> Never took a test. <laughs> but anyway, that was a, Stingle was a, he was, he was Are pretty. we done? Are we done? Yeah, I was say, well, he's going to the museum. You can come over and hear some more stories. Eats. Donuts? Are the donuts going to the museum? No, the hot dogs. This is hot dogs at the museum. You didn't eat all of them, did you? No, we didn't. <laughs> can we take a box with us? We 